welcome to The Climate Realist. Here, we'll talk about realistic and achievable things you can do to help with climate change. Personally, I believe that the Earth's climate is changing in a major way and that most of it is human-caused. If you are skeptical, please listen anyway. I respect your point of view, and this podcast may help you to understand what all the fuss is about. At the very least, you'll hear a lot of ways to save money. Many of us in North America and Europe and other parts of the world really like to eat beef. Anything involving cattle certainly has a significant environmental impact. Agriculture produces 19% of the total CO2 output of the world each year. Beef and dairy are quite a significant part of this. Now for the record, I love eating beef. I grew up on a farm and our family of six would single-handedly go through an entire steer each year. We chose one from the herd, and we'd have our butcher connection, Emil, carve it up into the very best steaks and roast. All the rest of the animal would be ground up into the tastiest ground beef that you can imagine. The most efficient meats to eat are things like chicken, where the ratio between the number of calories eaten and the number of calories in the meat is about 2 to 1. With pork, it's about 3 to 1. But with beef, it's about 7 to 1. This means that the cow has to consume a lot of calories in order to generate one little piece of meat for us to barbecue. Another big factor with cattle is that they have a large amount of methane and other gases that are emitted as part of their digestion process. Cattle have a four-chambered stomach that allows them to digest grasses, hay, and other items that simply would not be digestible by other types of animals. They need these specialized stomachs to break down the starches and fibers in the plants into a form that is digestible. A human that ate only hay or dried grass would not survive long. We simply cannot digest these things in an efficient way. A big problem with cattle from a climate perspective is that the byproduct of their digestion is methane, a powerful greenhouse gas. Cows burp and fart a lot, and the amount of methane they release is very significant. And then when they poop, it generates something else that will have to biodegrade into both fertilizer and also methane in the next few months. In an intensive farming operation, some of this methane can be captured and then sold as renewable natural gas. But let's face it, trying to base an industry on capturing cow farts is not easy. Now, I'm not suggesting that anybody stop eating beef or stop consuming other products from cattle like dairy. This stuff is delicious and nutritious for a reason. But cutting back on your consumption of red meat will probably lower your own carbon footprint. For many people, Chicken or fish is a good alternative. For some, pork is okay, but for others, it's simply out of the question. From a dietary perspective, I'm sure your doctor wouldn't want to encourage you to eat beef every day either. So cutting back on this is good for your own health, as well as good for the environment. And as a bonus, it'll lower your grocery bill. I'm also not suggesting that anybody become vegetarian or vegan unless they personally prefer this food. In our earliest form, humans were hunter-gatherers. Yes, that meant that they hunted as well as gathered. So how do I reduce my carbon footprint with the food that I eat? Well, the first thing is to have beef for special meals. Instead of eating it every day, perhaps considering eating beef once a week, or maybe even once every two weeks. There's all sorts of recipes where you can substitute in chicken or turkey or pork for beef, 
and have it turn out delicious. Also, consider sprinkling in some vegetarian or even vegan dishes here and there if you're adventurous. If you've ever been to a proper vegetarian or vegan restaurant, you'll know that the menu is not just the same dishes with the meat removed. It can be absolutely delicious, whether with subtle flavors and textures or in-your-face spiciness. Fish is also very nutritious and should arguably form part of your diet. But fish also can have environmental impacts as the world simply doesn't have enough fish in the oceans, rivers, and lakes to support the 8 billion people we have on Earth. Now, farmed fish is probably a slightly more environmentally friendly alternative, but it has environmental impacts too. You should probably eat fish about as much as you eat beef, maybe once every week or two. But don't take dietary advice from me. I'm a climate realist, not the food police or a dietitian. You probably should not eat fish every day, particularly the fish higher in the food chain, because toxins like mercury can bioaccumulate. And here's where the climate realist part comes in. If you really like eating meat and having a nice, thick, juicy steak on a regular basis, or having the smell of a nice roast in the oven, then trying to reduce your carbon footprint by cutting back on something you really enjoy is not a good idea. This podcast is about helping reduce your carbon footprint without making drastic changes to your life. So if you really like eating beef, carry on. You can find other ways to reduce your personal carbon footprint. And how about hunting? I don't know about where you live, but we have a large amount of very large mule deer in this area, and there's lots of people that go up during hunting season and bag a couple of these. They're not just doing this for the racks or antlers, they're doing it for something to eat. If it happens to have a nice set of antlers, so much the better. We also have a fair number of moose around. I don't know if you've ever seen a moose up close in the wild, but I've run across a few and they are massive. They're the bulldozers of the forests and meadows. These things are huge, huge animals and will provide enough meat to probably last you for the better part of a year. I was walking across the Costco parking lot last hunting season and came across some guys that were buying huge quantities of condiments and party supplies. They were setting up for a barbecue where they were going to invite all their buddies over and try to make a dent in the huge amount of moose meat they have brought back from the hunt. Now to city folk, or non-hunters of you, this might sound really distasteful. But if you think about it, this is the most traditional thing you can do with something you've hunted. Share it with your community. It's exactly the same thing that Indigenous people have done for thousands of years. In the last few years, there's also been some great meat alternatives being developed. Some like Beyond Meat Burgers or Impossible Burgers are actually quite good. Have you ever tried one? You can get them at your local A&W. These are made completely with non-meat ingredients and have a way lower carbon footprint than regular hamburgers. But they still manage to make them taste pretty good. Are they as good as a really good extra lean beef burger made from ground round? Probably not. But they likely do taste better than really cheap greasy hamburger meat. Another thing you could try is foods that aren't necessarily North American. Indian food, Thai food, Vietnamese, Chinese, All of these foods can be delicious. In particular, Indian food, made either vegetarian or with chicken and pork rather than beef, is among the tastiest things you'll ever eat. And if you're going to eat beef, then consider quality over quantity. Let's compare two beef eating experiences I've had over the last couple of decades. 
One was a local Japanese restaurant where the chef prepared Wagyu beef on a grill right in front of us. I'm sure this beef wasn't very much in terms of ounces, but it was mouth-watering and delicious. Contrast this with my experience at a Texas steakhouse 20 years ago. This place specialized in really large cuts of beef. The menu seemed to start at about 16 ounces and went up from there. They had one steak that was 72 ounces, which is just an unbelievable amount of beef for someone to attempt to eat at one meal. Now I'm a fairly big guy, six foot one and 200 pounds. At this steakhouse, I really couldn't settle for what they called the Little Philly Special. So I went one size up from there, but it was still more beef than you really should be eating at one sitting. Unless that's your thing, and huge steaks are a large part of your quality of life, in which case, no judging here. But personally, I'd rather have a high quality six ounce steak done perfectly than struggle to eat a huge one. Dairy is also a major contributor to global warming. I don't know if you've been around dairy cows before, but these things are really farting machines. They're not optimized for climate. They're specifically bred to generate as much milk and cream as possible. Aside from all the burping and farting, these dairy cattle produce huge amounts of manure and urine. The manure is typically spread on in the fields as fertilizer, which depending on your point of view can be a nice country smell or totally disgusting. My dad would actually roll down the truck window and take a deep breath whenever he went by a dairy farm. He simply loved the smell of it to each their own. The manure, when it decomposes, also releases lots of methane. Now it has nitrogen in it and other elements made for good fertilizing, which is why it's been used since time immemorial for fertilizing crops. Another thing people might not be familiar with is that the milk output from cows is highly variable. What my dad used to call fresh meant that the cow had recently had a calf and was generating huge amounts of milk. We had a cow named Judy that would generate multiple gallons of milk in a day, so much in fact that we couldn't even give it away fast enough. In places with lots of dairy, like New Zealand or Wisconsin, they have a solution for this. They have secondary plants that take the excess milk and use it for creating small package products, and even ingredients used for cosmetics, chemical and industrial processes. Another concept is cattle on the range. The rancher neighbors at our farm would range their cattle over hundreds of square miles of the BC backcountry during grazing season. Their cattle were filling the same biological niche as deer or perhaps moose. These large herbivores provide valuable services to nature, spreading fertilizer around, hoofing it into the soil and clearing brush. But they were not competing with deer and moose as much as you would think. Why? Because in the fall, the cattle were rounded up and taken back to overwinter at their home farm or to be sold for slaughter. So they were not competing with deer and moose for the scarcer resources over the winter. Sure, if the cattle weren't there, there would probably be more deer and a few more moose. And of course, along with deer come the predators like wolves and mountain lions. These are all a valuable part of nature. Of course, some animal rights activists would have us not eating any meat or dairy at all. While I respect their point of view, I'm planning to continue eating a limited amount myself. You do you. See you at the barbecue. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Climate Realist.